This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Kia ora and welcome to episode 67 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, the king of Kapiti Island, Paul Kanawa. How you doing, pal? Kia ora, Dan. It is, there is more to Kapiti than just the island, but I like the idea that I am the king of the island. I quite like that. I think if you're going to be the king of an island, what a great island to be a king of. Mm, great views and not many neighbours. It really is made for me. There really isn't, there's no drop-ins, you've got to get there by boat. You know, mm-hmm. but you're kind of close enough to land if you, you know, if you need to get, get over. For anyone who, How, for anyone who has no idea of what we're talking about, I live near an island, not on an island. We are on an island. You're in New Zealand, you know. Sorry, how'd you say that again? It's getting complicated. All right. Anyway, how, how's life, Paul? Are you doing all right? I'm doing much better than I was last week. I was feeling a bit sick last week. I feel like I've got lots to talk about, which is always exciting. I feel like I've got lots to say. I'm worried you're going to edit half of it out because I'll be talking too much. So I'm coming in pretty hot. All right, let's jump right on into it then, Paul. What have you been watching? So I'm going to start by going back to an old movie. Couldn't help myself. 1987. It's Predator. The original and surely the best for anyone who has not seen this movie. A team of special forces led by Dutch, a.k.a. Arnold Schwarzenegger, are ordered to assist the CIA on a rescue mission in a South American jungle. But not long after they land, it turns out to be a deception. But that's the least of their worries when they find themselves being methodically hunted by something not of this world. Then I have not seen this movie for many years. And honestly, I... I don't know what to expect thinking going into it. I had forgotten just how great this movie is. I remember a lot of great one-liners out of Predator, and I've got, I've got this feeling that they don't make movies like this anymore, but it's definitely one that I have fond memories of. But like you, it's it's been some time since I've seen it. Uh, you're right about the one-liners, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger is really well known for all of his, you know, quotable lines and i feel like this movie has perhaps the most quotable lines of them all uh, get to the chopper um when he throws that knife at someone which nails them against the wall and he just goes stick around i'm probably doing a real terrible swatch now but i can't help myself and then of course i just love the classic handshake with carl weathers right at the start 
where he's just like, Dylan, you son of a bitch. I, I just love that whole handshake where he's just testing, has he still got his resolve? If it bleeds, we can kill it. There's just, there's so many lines. Um, Jesse Ventura is also in it. He has some just crazy lines as well. I think you summed it up well just then when you said they don't make them like this anymore. It is, you know, it's such a simple premise, this movie as well, from the point of view of an invisible alien that can see people by heat, basically. It's just, it's so well done. And yeah, I just, um, I was not prepared for how much fun it was. Even just looking at the um, IMDb page at the moment, <clears throat> there's so many, like all the photos and the stills, all of these people are just such caricatures of uh, an 80s soldier like there's the guy with the um kind of cowboy hat on with like half of it pinned up there's obviously arnold with it like you know he's just wearing a vest and no shirt underneath because his arms are too big like it's so good it is so good i mean you've, a couple of the other characters bill duke he has some great lines in there as well the characters are really cliche stereotypical and what have you but combined with the dialogue i think it really holds up as an action movie even you know, 34 years ago, which is insane. Also, fun fact then, Peter Cullen, a.k.a. the voice of Optimus Prime from, you know, the original 80s and all the movies, he's actually the voice of the Predator. Did not know that. See? Half Measures is always educating you. I don't even recall the Predator talking, to be honest with you. If you said to me, does the Predator have any lines, I would have said no, no. You need, you need to get back into this movie and rewatch it. I give this movie all the guns, Then Honestly, I'm... I'm thinking actually Jesse Ventura, he has like this rotating barrel machine gun. That's all the guns I would give it. I, I have to say I could I could easily go down barrel. Yeah, I give it the barrel. I could easily go down a rabbit hole of Predator 2, of Predators, and the latest one, which I haven't seen, The Predator. Um I could easily find myself just going down a rabbit hole of all these movies now. So wait and see next week. You never know. I actually, like, I've seen none of those. Um, like, I think I've obviously seen Predator 1 and Predator 2, but I think after that, I I just don't know if I've ever seen them. I, and I definitely haven't seen any of the Alien versus Predator movies. Wow. We're in for a ride. Uh, Predators, the Robert Rodriguez one, uh, that's the one I've seen most recently. I really enjoyed that. Not everyone cut sort of their cup of tea but i really enjoyed that one i have a feeling that predator 2 isn't that great that's the one set in la with danny glover but i feel like if i'm gonna watch him i'm watching them all it's like the fast and the furious right dan you don't always get the that's best right. but you go for the whole journey it's about family it's like when you start the lord of the rings paul you don't start the quest once you build the fellowship you've seen it through correct it's the half measures way so that was the, yeah, that was Predator. The other thing I really want to talk about, and I've sort of been doing this every month or so, uh, is my rewatch of Better Call Saul. And I've just finished season three. And season three is a gold standard of TV. And what excites me is that my latent memory of, of, of this show is telling me that season four and five are even better. And having just watched three, and come out of that. I'm almost struggling to believe that's possible, but I, I, I'm sure it does get better, which is just insane. It's just, there's just so much goodness in the show. And look, anyone who's not a fan, please fast forward because I feel like I really want to talk about this show. We've got Mike now fully under the wing of Gus Fring. Um, 
Do you remember that episode where Mike takes it upon himself to walk into one of the the madrigal factories where he's now employed? He gets an ID, he gets a high vis, he gets a clipboard, he gets a buggy, and he starts driving around the factory up and down the aisle. He goes into the kitchen, he makes himself a coffee, he has a donut, he signs someone's birthday card or leaving card or something. It's just it's just so easy for him to do, um, and it probably sounds like absolute madness, but for Mike Ermintrout to be doing that, it was just so so good. Um, what else have we got? We've got Hector uh, Salamanca. You know, he's he's trying to take over business. And so Nacho tries to kill him by changing the pills in his pocket. He's dropping the pills in the pocket. But of course, he survives. And then he winds up in the state we see him in Breaking Bad with the chair and the bell. And yeah, look, now that I'm rewatching all these episodes, and at very least, this is the second time I've watched these episodes, I'm starting to really take note of background details and appreciating the way a scene is shot and all that stuff. And I guess as a fanboy, I'm also looking at the credits and I have to say, and I think I said the same thing about this guy in season two, and it, it always comes out at me, this guy, Gordon Smith, the episodes that he writes, absolutely superb. Honestly, I, it's so good that it makes me want to go and look at what else he's written and then go watch those shows, no matter what those shows are, because he just takes it up a level. It's just, just amazing. I say this all the time when you talk about these shows, Paul, but it makes me want to, to rewatch again. And I think, um, I'm going to have to really sort of plan carefully because I want to, I want to get a, a full rewatch of Better Call Soul in as well before the, the new season drops. Um, so once we kind of get confirmation of, which I'm guessing it's going to be next year now, um, when that will be, I'll try and line it up. I also find it, it's such a fantastic TV show, much like Breaking Bad, and I just hear so often from people that they kind of like checked out of Better Call Soul, couldn't get into season one, maybe got to the end of season one, wasn't for them, and it just makes me so sad because it's, it's honestly it's just such a top tier television show, and you've kind of got to do your yards to, to get there, and and it, and when you rewatch it, it's so good, and it's so hard to understand where people are coming from when they're like, oh, it's a bit boring, and it's crazy. Funnily enough, I just had my hair cut last night. The person cutting my hair, we always talk about TV, and she's watched Breaking Bad, but she's never seen Better Call Saul, and so I'd said, oh, you've got to get into it, and so she, so she said, I will. And I actually even said, give yourself – give yourself the season to get into it because I remember what you said, you know, how other people have said, Oh, you know, it's not for them. And I feel like if you can watch season two of this show and say, it's not for you, I don't know how you ever got through breaking bad and, you know, weren't a fan. Cause it's, um, I don't know. Like I said, I think when I said on my season two rewatch, it's almost better the next time around because you've got a deeper appreciation for some of the characters who were new when you watched it the first time. And now of course you, you just love those characters. Totally. Awesome. Awesome. Love it, Paul. Really good. Really good. And I just want to mention one episode because it's just so great. It was And again, it was Gordon Smith, the episode called Chicanery, which is where Chuck is in court and he's trying to you know, make Jimmy look stupid. But Jimmy is trying to prove that Chuck's condition with electricity isn't a real thing. And he's managed to sneak uh, a phone battery into Chuck's inside breast pocket in his jacket. And it's just absolutely brilliant. Honestly, I... I feel like this is going to be, you know how you say you can watch The Office about, you know, 10 or 15 times and never, I feel like this is a show I'll just be able to do on loop, just maybe at a slow burn. But um, I'm trying really hard. I'm trying really hard to go slowly so that I can, you know, not finish season five too 
too quickly before we go to season six, but it's it's really hard to not press play. So good. Nice. Right, I'll stop. The last thing I was going to talk to you about, and I mentioned I started it last week, is uh, Righteous Gemstones. And where do I start with this? I, I'll tell you what, I had a thought the other day about a bonus podcast that we could do. You know how sometimes we do little specials, you know, sort of not the normal. And the idea was that we could do like a top 10 of top 10s. And like, you know, we can have our top 10 films of all time, top 10 directors of all time. Anyway, I digress. One of those top 10 lists would be the top 10 funniest people. And I, the reason I was thinking about this is because I can 100% guarantee you Danny McBride is in that 10. This guy, honestly, him and Gordon Smith should get together and write something. He is absolute genius as well, Danny McBride. I love him. I, I can't get enough. It's so great. I know what you mean. Like he's just he. Once you are in sync with Danny McBride, every sort of like line, facial, just sort of quip that he makes is it's gold. Uh, I'm with you. He he's a superstar. And it's you're right. Every line, I feel like his humor, his voice, his walk, everything. This this whole thing perhaps falls into a little bit of that sort of white trash humor that I I absolutely love, and I guess it's a little bit like Kenny Powers and East Bannon down on steroids or something. But you put this guy next to um, Adam Devine, the guy who plays the younger brother, hilarious, and then you put him next to the legend John Goodman, and you have one hell of a funny show. It really is just. Um, and it's not just that he's so funny. He created this show and he is the writer of every episode, just like with East Span and Dan. So he is exceptionally talented all around. And I think that's even more impressive because he plays a little bit of a white trash kind of character role frequently. And that's when the real gold is. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you really need to watch Vice Principals next, like mm. just to really sort of round out your Danny McBride experience because it, it really is just the the perfect sort of like trilogy of movies, even though they've got nothing to do with each other. It could be, you know, the, you know, Kenny Powers and his two brothers separated at birth and they all sort of go on these adventures. I'm just looking at it now because I was just thinking, what could I say? I was going to say, yeah, if, if you've liked these things, you'll love this. And the things I had was East Bannon Down and Pineapple Express. And then I spotted the the Vice Principals and I thought to myself, I'm going to have to get in amongst that as well. But yeah, it's borderline inappropriate comedy, um, which of course is always the best. Um, and this, of course, was your number one uh, peak performance for John Goodman as well. And you're right, he doesn't disappoint in the show as well. Really funny as the head of this family and in many respects, the way this this family runs, even though they're, they're they're supposed to be for good and you know charity and for the well of the community, it's almost run like a a bit of a, a gangster operation, isn't it? With the amount of money they're making, and um, yeah, I you know this first season has been great. I I see there's a second season coming, and I can't wait to uh, to see when that comes out because yeah, that this show is uh, is definitely one for anyone who loves that kind of humor. You'll love it. I think that's the thing with these shows, eh? Like they, they don't come along very often, and they can be quite hard to um, come across on the, you know, the algorithms that sort of present, that sort of serve you up stuff to watch. But this is definitely down, as you say, with Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals, Pineapple Express. This is so in their alley; it's it's a perfect watch. Definitely, and that Dan is what I've been watching. Please tell me what have you been watching? You've been a very busy boy, Paul. Very busy. 
makes up for your, you know, your tardiness. It was poor last week. It was poor, right? Yeah. No. No, you're right. You're right. All right. So I've watched a couple of things. Um, Also, I shouldn't be making fun of you. I've had a few tardy weeks myself. (laughs) Yeah, I reckon. (laughs) Um, So the first show that I've watched is Master of None Season 3. So I don't know if um, Paul, you – are you a Master of None fan? I forget. I'm kicking myself here because I saw it and I was going to message you and say, hey, we should watch this and do a review together. And I haven't got around to it yet because I love the first two seasons. How's season three? Uh, wow. Oh, so this is a bit of podcast planning on the fly. I could hold off talking about it if you if you want to add it to your, your watch list. But if you're a bit busy, then I'll talk about it. I've, I've noticed it's not that many episodes as well. Um, so Okay. Let's, let, let's hold – Let's hold off then. So we'll, we'll hold off and we'll do a review together in the next episode or so. Um, well so, yeah, because there is only five episodes. Um, and, yeah, really different from the the previous two seasons. But I'll just pause it there. It is out on Netflix. And we'll sort of round back to this in a couple of weeks' time. Nice. And, and do a Master of None review. Another show... Um, which I've just which I've just watched actually is uh, Mayor of Easttown, which is um, a popular watch at the moment, and it was so good when I was watching it. I actually messaged you, Paul, and I'm like, "You guys need to get on this. It's going to be great." And Paul's now got on it, and we've, he hasn't quite finished it yet. So again, next week we're actually going to talk about this show, and we'll do a, a full season review just to give him a chance to watch it. But <laughs> if you um, if you are, if you love a good sort of dark. Um, crime story mayor of east town excellent there's only seven episodes and they're all out now at the moment it's a limited series so there isn't a season two uh stars kate winslet highly highly recommended but please make sure you avoid uh spoilers on the internet um because it's a it's a show where you really want to go on the journey so again i'll just sort of park my immediate thoughts on it apart from giving it a um all the guns and we'll talk about this one next week. I appreciate it. But one one I can talk about, Paul. So since moving to the Y Rapper, I have recently been to the movie theatre out here. And you know what? It was amazing. So um, it's, a, it's a sort of a boutique little movie theatre, a little bit bougie. Um, right. But I went to see A Quiet Place Part 2. So this movie, Paul, is... Excellent. So um, A Quiet Place Part 2 sort of follows, obviously, the events from A Quiet Place Part 1. And so basically the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world uh, and they're forced to venture into the unknown and they realise the creatures they hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. So you've seen A Quiet Place Part 1, haven't you? I have not. You haven't? I have not. I I was going to and Diana's already watched it and so I'm trying to convinced for a rewatch for her so i feel like i need to now oh yeah this is a a really again like a really really like i you know when when they have a part two like you're kind of a bit like oh can that can they sort of maintain that same sort of the interest and kind of the hype and the and the scares and what and and they they've done such a great job with this movie and i remember um it was going to release just before um covid and Basically, they made the call that no, we're gonna we're gonna hold it because we want you to experience this movie in the theater. And 
honestly, that is so true. This is one of those movies where, you know, just a, a real top quality sound system that can really sort of, you know, play off the, the quietness or the, the dead stillness with loud sort of action scenes. And that the movie reminds me a lot of, you know, sort of got like Walking Dead components. It reminds me a little bit of the game The Last of Us. It's it's so good. Um, Emily Blunt, um, Cillian Murphy. Uh, so I, I can't say enough good stuff about this movie, Paul. This is highly recommended. If it's at a theatre where you live, definitely go and check it out. If you've seen the first one and you liked it, you're definitely going to like part two. It, it's really a, a good movie. And of course, yeah, John Krasinski, writing and directing amazing uh right. i love it i really right. yeah no so it's um it's it's good it's i i i think we mentioned in the news last week there's sort of talk about being a, a third movie mm. and i think this is the way this movie ends it's really set up where it could either it could end and everyone will live you know get on with their lives but it's actually really set up quite nicely where actually three parts they could really do some interesting stuff with the story. So, again, I don't really want to spoil it too much for you, but I think I think you'll enjoy it. Like I know a few people that have kind of been put off because is it a is it a bit scary or is it a horror? And it's 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 got a few jump scares, but other than that, it's like it's a science fiction um, sort of intense thriller a lot of the time. So, mm. get on board. Emily Blunt does do quite a few sort of those sci-fi thriller type movies. And I think um, that's a real good genre. I'm definitely going to get amongst this. Yeah, definitely. All right, Paul, shall we move on to some of the things that we've watched together? Shall we maybe start with uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch? Indeed. So once again, use the show note timings if you want to fast forward past anything you're not interested in. This is season one, episode five, episode uh, Rampage. And the synopsis for this one, uh, the Bad Batch strike a deal to take on a mission. Now, as I've said this last time, the, the, the synopsis really tell you so little. Um, and I'm too lazy as a half measure, of course, to write. We don't, we don't write our own synopsis. That's madness. But, um, but uh, I will say quickly, I enjoyed this one, Dan, and I'll pass to you for first thoughts. Um, yeah, this was, uh, this was, I thought, a... a a better episode we're still obviously you know i've still got my same kind of issues with i think omega and just constantly kind of being a pain but in in this case i guess she actually saved the bad batch so i think what was good about this episode is it had a couple of things obviously we've got reference to um jabba we've got rancors um we've got a sort of a a pretty great rescue mission we've got uh Bib fortuna at the end of the episode to sort of really tie it all together it, i like this episode because it kind of brought in some of these wider elements and I guess it made it feel connected to the wider universe that we all love and understand. Um, but I really enjoyed Rhea Perlman uh, being the voice for Sid. That was a um, a great character. But yeah, no, I thought it was good. I, I I'm still sort of I'm starting to get the feeling of remember Clone Wars season one, and it was kind of a bit a bit patchy. I'm wondering if that's going to be our Bad Batch vibe. Like, this is kind of just a whole bunch of kind of testing until they kind of find their rhythm. And then as it sort of builds up, it'll really probably get really focused. I love I love the thought of that happening. I love the thought that that is the case because um, we have had a couple of bad, 
well, not bad, but you know, just average episodes. But this one, I this was more like it for me. I really needed this episode. It was something I found interesting. It had a, a good story, and then as you as you said, it you know it tied back into um, things from Return of the Jedi. It gave us Bib Fortuna, and it gave us a couple of his uh, what are they the the Gamma Ray guards. It had a real good like it reminded me of a good old fashioned Saturday morning cartoon type of episode, which is kind of a lot of what I did enjoy about those sort of middle seasons of uh, Clone Wars, I guess. Um, and, you know, the quest, you know, to get information on Fennec Shand, uh, that's, that's good because we're, we're, we're in, we're invested in that character. Um, and then the mission is good. And then the twist is they actually have to capture a rancor, which ultimately ends up being, for Jabba. So yeah, there was, there was a lot in here that was, was good. And, um, I've got a couple of little pieces of trivia as well, which I'll share with you in a moment. But, um, yeah, I was, I was impressed. Paul, are you watching this, uh, the bad batch with your son? Yes, 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 yes. He, he enjoyed this one, um, a lot more as well. He's, he's been pretty much up and down the same as I have in terms of what we've been thinking about like you know what we've been saying about omega because i'm guessing that someone because you know disney they know how to make a buck or two I'm, I'm guessing someone's done the research there and that this character is written resonating with someone but even my you know my son's 11 he's not interested um so um yeah i don't know i think because again I feel like we, I'm I'm getting a bit droney about this sort of stuff like I do sometimes with Walking Dead sometimes. Um, I think, you know, they these moments where obviously they gave her her own comm device and she can kind of talk to people and it's kind of like – and then all of a sudden, like, it's kind of like she's treated like a child but then she's pretty deep in these rescue missions and it's like – I guess it confuses me what like what kind of age they're pitching this character at and it's mm. it kind of goes a bit up and down. Yeah, no, it, it really does and – throw in the accent i don't know what i don't know what for people outside of australasia how that accent's landing but for down down here I, it's kind of i don't want to say triggering but it's it's jolting i think that was the word you used last week it sort of jolts you out a little bit it's all day indeed what's your uh trivia paul so a couple of things um so we had matthew wood return as bib fortuna that's the third time he's done the character after phantom menace and of course the the post credit scene in the mandalorian where um uh, Bib Fortuna showed up. Um, so Sid, the character um, that much of the story revolves around, uh, voiced, as you said, by Reed Pullman, um, that character, the name Sid, they named it Sid as a nod to the Final Fantasy game series, um, which usually features a character that is important to the story or joins your team. I have no idea. I'm not the Final Fantasy guy here, but um, that game series... Uh, also usually features two non-playable characters named after Star Wars characters, Wedge and Biggs. And so, yeah, the name Sid, it's a nod to that game apparently. So, uh, so there you go. Um, did you, did you pick up on that? Or? No, 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 that, that definitely escaped me. I did think of one other thing that I thought could be worth discussing um, while we're, while we're talking about the show is uh, Ricker's headaches that he's getting. Um, mm. And obviously his his chip is obviously malfunctioning. Um, when I think that could potentially pose some interesting threats to the the Bad Batch in the coming episodes. Yeah, it could be playing a bit of a long game where that chip is going to suddenly change gears and suddenly he's going to be 
playing along with Order 66 and the rest of the guys with, um, in the Clone Army. So yeah, no, that's an interesting... I like that. I like the a bit of a fan theory there. I like that. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? I had another piece of trivia. Oh, the that's right. The um, the, the location, Ord Mantell, that's a place we've never seen on screen before, but it comes from that Empire Strikes back quote from Han Solo where he said well the bounty hunter we ran into on Old Mantel changed my mind and now now we've been to Old Mantel so that was that was pretty cool but um yeah I think I think there's a lot to enjoy I think dipping in as you said to that original trilogy stuff is where it's rewarding for me I know it's a bit fanboyish but I love that and now when we see Luke fighting the Rancor in Return of the Jedi, maybe we'll have a bit more empathy given that we know, you know, we knew Moochie, Moochie the Rancor, when he was a lot younger. Well, um, I don't think it's the same Rancor. Oh, oh, have I misinterpreted? I figured this was Jabba's Rancor. Yeah, no, I think because the, the, now I don't have, I'm, I'm too lazy to mute my microphone and type something into the keyboard, but that Rancor in Jabba's is, uh, Jabba's palace is actually called something else. So wow. this this may be just one of many rancors that uh, Jabba owns over the years, or, or it could it could go the other way. I, I think it's I think the way they did that was kind of cool that it could be like you know interpret interpret this as the rancor, or actually if you're deep in um, Star Wars lore, then. You know, it might be someone, something different. I thought you'd be all over this, Mr. Canella, to be honest. I just made a real arrogant assumption about it, but I have, I'm, I'm a little bit less lazy than you. I have typed in some words here and there are a few articles talking about it. So yeah, they're sort of saying whether or not Moochie is indeed the rancor that Luke ends up killing in Return of the Jedi is unclear. So yeah. I guess we need to just sort of dive into that a little bit more. But um, you're on fire, Dan, with your fan theories. Um, I th- I think Muchi will prove it otherwise. I challenge you to to find out if it's not. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it'll come around. We'll get a bit more detail throughout the rest of the season. Should we move on over to the Handmaid's Tale? Yes. So season four, episode seven. Episode title is Home, and synopsis here: June struggles with her newfound freedom. Reunited with loved ones and confronting her nemesis, Serena. I thought this episode was excellent. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, the sort of, you know, again, some of the ups and downs of the season. Like, I think in general, you and I have mostly uh, really enjoyed it. And I think what was interesting about this episode is I actually felt like they really whipped through it really fast like Mm -hmm. they can't you know so there's sort of the the moment of june sort of first sort of you know obviously coming home um the what's left of the american government trying to sort of um take her in as a refugee uh going home to luke uh the sort of various encounters there trying to get readapted even to the point that we got a a serena scene in june scene which was a real intense and quality piece of acting and terrifying all in the same episode crazy because you know in some of these other episodes it's taken a really long time for some of these things to happen so I'm really intrigued with like season four's kind of gone slow and now it's like really sped up so I'm, I'm intrigued to see where they're actually going next what did you think of this one yeah I feel 
entirely the same once again in tune with you this was really good possibly the best i would say since this season has actually kicked off over the last month um i yeah just that scene that you touched on there with um with serena was was incredible like um the character of june continues to fascinate me in lots of ways just in terms of i'm always thinking what goes on in her mind because there's so much of the scenes with her where she is um just silent and you know she's staring at the camera or, or whatever it is and i'm always thinking about what's going on in her head, her thought processes. And, you know, it's always focus on revenge and hatred and that look she gets on her face. Firstly, that reminds me of how I look at other passengers on board the Wellington Metlink rail service. (laughs) But more seriously, in the context of her world, she is finally free after, you know, suffering abuse, humiliation, the most degrading inhumane treatment and imprisonment and attacks and and all those things that we just can't contemplate or even begin to understand and so when when she then uh when she confronts serena that intensity of that shouting i would love to see a behind the scenes of that scene like when the when the camera when they called cut to see the reaction of the the actress I've, I can't think of her name, who plays Serena, just just to see what it would have been like from her to have had that raw hatred and, ve- and retribution sort of shouted at her. It was intense. Oh, yeah, it was so intense. I I would imagine you probably had to go and like cool down after a scene like that, right? Like you probably actually genuinely have some, some frustration towards that other person, even mm. though you're just acting, right? Exactly. It's... Um, yeah, it was an excellent episode. There was a, a what else was it? the supermarket scene? I thought that was, I thought that was really well done as well. You know, when she's walking around and then you know the the trauma she would have gone through, and then the triggers in the supermarket that would have taken her back to that that Gilead shopping experience, which was you know very much different. Um, and, and what I've found watching that scene in the supermarket in Canada it's given me almost like this new found appreciation, I guess, of, of um, how unreal Gilead really is just something as simple as a supermarket and just thinking about what it was like for her back then. It's only when I see her doing normal things in a, in a normal society that I go back and think about the way of life or the lack of it in, in Gilead, because I think after watching episode after episode of Gilead, you almost become numb to what Gilead is like. And so seeing something as simple as that just makes it, just so real definitely too like and I, i'm still fascinated by how you have how they even like create gilead like right like how do you even end up stripping your supermarkets down to such bare bones of what, mm. what they are whenever june and her fellow handmaids would go shopping there it was it was so bizarre but yeah i think it, it was a really again like such strong acting um by elizabeth moss as she's walking through the supermarket i think her relationship with luke through this episode particularly where she was kind of unsure of how she how to act around him and I think she did a really good job at also uh, sort of displaying the fatigue and how tired she was and I think I think she's going back to Gilead Paul I think she's going back and she's going to go get her daughter like she's kicking ass it's, it's happening yeah there were some quite extraordinary scenes in that in that episode weren't there where you can see her her character has changed I, I think you're right I think she, look I think she's going back one way or another 
and I wonder how she'll go back. And I guess I know I've said this before, but I'm um, I'm kind of I want to see what Gilead's response is going to be. You know, we've already seen what they've done to Chicago, but what's what's next? And um, yeah, I, I'll be fascinated to see where she goes. Just to just to jump quickly back to Serena, her character psychology is quite fascinating as well. And so seeing her going back to Fred after what she'd said to him before in the same episode, she will do whatever she needs to do to get what she wants or to feel how she wants to feel. And I find that quite fascinating because this is, we're seeing Serena in a different environment to, to Gilead and I, all of the dynamics have changed and now she's someone to be reckoned with as well. It's funny too, I'll tell you the one um, relationship I thought was, and it could just be my poor memory of this, but when um, June meets Rita again for the first time since I guess seeing her in Gilead, mm. and I I know that in the end ultimately Rita you know helped get those kids um, out of Gilead, and and helped June at various times, but I never felt like June and Rita had a that greater relationship, and I always kind of particularly in that first season, I always felt like Rita was more loyal to the uh, Waterfords than she was to to June, and so it was kind of interesting to like. I, I don't know. I'm probably, what do I know about psychology? But it was interesting to kind of just, you know, they're, they're portrayed as much deeper friends than I ever thought they were. Yeah, no, you're right. And I I think I felt the same as you up until the last episode where we saw Rita go and basically tell Waterford what she, you know, what she thought of him in no uncertain terms and the sort of like that sort of pie I've done, I make it changed as well. So, um, yeah, no, a good call. The other thing we 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 still have nothing on Janine again. Another episode. You know what's happened to her? Has she gone? No, Aunt Lydia. I need more screen time from her next time. I'll tell you, Paul. We've only got three episodes to go because I think this is only a a ten episode season. So we're 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 racing through. So scary That's, stuff. I don't remember approving that at all. But um, no, this is mm. a goodie. Nine out of ten. So this uh, on IMDb that is, and so yeah, this shows on the on the app for sure. Definitely, and I think you know this will probably be another another one of those shows where it'll actually be great at the end of the season to you know potentially sit down and, and kind of watch them as a bit of a, a binge. Mm. Um, it'll probably be quite a nice package. Well, Paul, shall we uh, move on to our movie of the week? Indeed. So. Each week, Dan and I take it in turns to watch a movie, and then we post in our Discord community what movie we're going to watch, so you can watch along with us and then listen to our review. This week, Dan, we cheated a little bit, didn't we? Well, did we? We it, bent, it's we not bent a, the rules. It's our podcast. We do whatever we want. Correct. This week, we watched so, The Friends Reunion. <laughs> I was going to try and play that, like like do the theme song, but I was like, nah, I'm going to butcher it, so so I won't do that. Yeah, so look, if this isn't your cup of tea, then obviously use the show notes, but I'll tell you, Paul, when um, the topic came up of should we have a look at the Friends reunion, I was kind of like, uh, okay, like I wasn't, I actually wasn't going to watch it. Mm. Um, not because I have any, like, like I, I love Friends growing up, it's, I've only ever seen it once. I remember it was one of those TV shows in New Zealand where they've they've obviously replayed it many, many times, and I've seen certain episodes many times. So I went into this reunion with a bit of a, oh, we'll see what this is all about. 
And I'll tell you, Paul, I freaking loved it. And it really hyped me up to start watching Friends, which I'm doing. And like, there's some, there's, there's some quirks in here that I want to talk about. But in general, I had a bloody great time. How about you? 100% the same. I went into this apprehensive, just like you. It amazes me how in tune we are sometimes. I, I didn't want to see these guys get back together and, and not have them be, I don't know on good terms or not into it or just i don't know you know when we i know this is a terrible analogy but you know when we recently reviewed bill and ted and it was just like oh no it's just not the same now and you guys and i know that was a movie and this was a reunion but i just didn't want it to not feel right and i don't know this was just absolutely superb and i think as as someone who went you know, I was at university when the show was out, living away from home for the first time ever, flatting with friends in a you know in a relatively big city compared to where I was from, and I think this show resonated with me a lot. And so, you know, watching them drop episodes week by week, you know, through my late twenties, this show always felt like, oh, is this what my life should be like? So it's it's always had a special place, and I think. I've seen the odd episode on TV every now and then, but I haven't watched this since it came out and first aired from 94 to 2004. And I I freaking loved it as well, Dan. And the rewatch has begun in this house, but not by me. I, I Diana has started it. I am... Um, I had an I had an early night one night this week, and as I just I was about to go to sleep, I could hear in the lounge, I could hear the theme tune, and I went out, and sure enough, there it was. She started season one, episode one, and I feel like I'm I will happily walk in and watch the odd bit now and then, but I'm not going to go all the way through. But um, I salute you for doing it because ten seasons, there's a lot to watch. We've uh, we've tuned it into our our palate cleanser TV show, nice. and we so we've only watched maybe three or four episodes. Um, but, you know, we're sort of watching an episode while we have dinner or something like that. And I'll, I'll tell you what, there was all the flashbacks in this reunion that I actually found myself physically laughing out loud and having a great time. And I was like, maybe I need to give this show another shot because I kind of had just put it in this category of the same as you. I loved it when it first came out. I didn't know whether I needed to see it again. And the reunion, and, I, you know, I guess this is why these guys are paid $2.5 million each to do a reunion. Um, because, you know, it drives a whole bunch of, um, new watching, new products. You know, these are, these are friends, um, obviously the, a cafe Lego set already out and they've just brought out a, a friend's apartment Lego set. Like, That's right. you know, the, it, it's never ending. I think there's a, a few things in this reunion which were interesting. So, as I say, I really enjoyed, um, I guess the, the actors themselves coming back on set and just kind of reminiscing about the experience of being an actor on this TV show. I really enjoyed some of the flashbacks. I enjoyed some of their sort of commentary around some of the things that kind of happened. Um, I think there's definitely some weird stuff with Matthew Perry we need to talk about. I, I'll tell you the thing it didn't really need, and it kind of felt a little bit forced to me, is all of these celebrities that they kind of just like jammed in there. Like the ones who were on the show, yep, cool. Hmm. But um, Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, like, do you, need, do you need to be on here? Like, Justin Bieber, like, were you even born when the show was out? Like, not, you know, not that we want to like gatekeep who can be on the show, but I kind of felt like it was kind of just like throwing celebrities at it just for the wow factor rather than for the the pure nostalgia of what Friends is. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I I guess 
yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. The the Bieber was fine by me because he was just really, really quickly. And at the end of the day, maybe the costumes by themselves weren't that that much to watch. But um, yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. I think the Gaga was a bit of a a, a weird one. I and what was funny was when Lisa Lisa Kudrow was like, "Oh, I think it's better when it's just me." That was that was what we all came for was to see her sing Smelly Cat by herself. And so then, and then when the like the choir people came out, it, it did go a little bit OTT maybe, but um. That's okay. I, I didn't have too many issues with that. I was mainly there as you know, as everyone was for the for the five of them. Two and a half million. Wow, I didn't realise that. That's pretty impressive. I um I'll tell you what else I didn't realise until I watched this. I didn't realise that Joey was my favourite character. And it was literally through watching this that I realised that that was actually the case. And then furthermore, Matt LeBlanc is the one in real life that I think makes me laugh the most. So like when they were talking, uh, I would notice that I was laughing. I mean, I was laughing all the time. I was laughing loudest with him and it just, just dawned on me. Wow. I just had no idea. It was amazing. Uh, I'm yeah. I think that that's a really good, good call. I found the same thing, but with Ross this time, and I would have said growing up, I would have found Ross annoying, but I, I resonated with Ross so much in this view. Even watching the flashbacks was like, Ross is great. Like he's so sort of like quirky and high maint and he's just such an interesting character, but he's also kind of funny in his own right. And cause I always remember growing up that obviously, you know, Chandler was really put, um, pitched as the funny one, but mm. I actually think that the real on on the guy side anyway, the real laughs come from Ross and Joey. Yeah. The other thing I loved about this then was the way they did this and the way they kept cycling around the different things that they were doing. So you know how they would they would they would cut from the the couch chat, then they were they would they would cut back to Ross's oh, sorry, David Schwimmer's quiz. That they were doing then they'd cut to walking around the sets and then they'd cut to the table reads and it was just a real nice flow rather than doing each of those things separately i felt like the jumping around really really worked really really well and i think um i think i actually enjoyed and i wouldn't wouldn't have thought i would but i enjoyed the table reads the most having them go back and redo those those scenes as you know lisa kudrow just like witnessing what she was witnessing across the street and then like, you know, the scream was still so much so there and the, the, the Ross Rachel dialogue back and forth. I, I thought that was, it was just really, really touching. I feel like if this was a show that you have enjoyed or do enjoy, um, and you know, there are, there are people at my work in their twenties now watching friends and, and it's resonating with them just as much as it did for me and for you back in the day. It's just great. And, and that's probably where my statement about Justin Bieber is way too harsh. Like, who, who am I to tell Justin Bieber who can't, can't watch it? And you're right. I think that's actually a good point that it actually probably made that, that fashion show a little bit fun. I'll tell you the one thing that I did find interesting, um, and not necessarily negative or positively, is obviously with a show like this, which came out in the 90s, there's things that happen in that show which wouldn't really aren't really – what how it's done in tv or in today's society and so i think when i think about some of those things in friends you know so i'll bring them up and just to disgrace the half measures podcast is obviously monica um, often in flashbacks was was 
played as a you know as a as a larger character that was never referenced as a as a joke once they you know ugly naked guy across the street again never really you know like kind of like not been you know not sort of called out and you know there's lots of jokes about that sort of stuff and I feel like you know in today's today's day and age who are you to make fun of anyone's size or what someone looks like and it just you know none of that it was almost like probably carefully scripted that they didn't go down some of those paths because it probably wouldn't have landed very well in 2021 yeah those things have moved on and you and I have had similar conversations with our, our sort of slightly out of sequence rewatches that we did with Seinfeld um, around some of the things that just would not fly in this day and age and it's um I mean, I don't, I don't want to say it is what it is. That sounds a little bit, but what can you do? That that was what it was, and um, yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting. So I'll, I'll hear from you and from Diana on this rewatch as to the types of things that you just maybe just wouldn't wouldn't get away with today. Oh, look, they're already in the first couple of episodes. Um, Ross's wife um, who leaves him and. To, she decides that she's a lesbian and they go and um but she's also turns out to be pregnant and you know some of the the language they use around it is so inappropriate but as you say it's it's kind of from a a a time and i guess the the good thing about it is if you can watch it and see that society's moved on for the better in some of these cases then then it's a good thing but it it is it is fascinating how you know even in our generation stuff was shit for people, shit for people. Like we were, we were terrible in the way, like, you know, the, the, the types of, you know, network television jokes about just, you know, sort of discriminated and all that sort of stuff was still there in our generation, which is, you know, often it's easy to blame the, you know, a, a generation back or so, but it's, it was still happening in, in our time. No, for sure. The, uh, the other point um, I wanted to, to raise just before I forgot then was uh, they sort of addressed a concern that I sort of mentioned before about you know you know leaving something that is good how it is. I did appreciate them saying you know at the end of this thing that they would not be coming back together for a movie, and um, and you know I am one of those people who doesn't mind shows or movies having sequels twenty years later and all that. I'm I'm always quite an advocate for that. I'm always like yeah, get them back together. But this, in the case of Friends, I. I like the way it ended and I don't want that to change. And I did appreciate them sort of saying that they would not be doing that. So, um, so that was good. I agree. I agree. I think it's, uh, you know, the beauty of friends was actually sort of the, the journey that you went on with them. And then all of a sudden to sort of pick up in current day where they're all kind of at different points in their lives, just, it wouldn't feel right. And I think you would end up displeasing so many people that mm. the, it just wouldn't be worth, worth the hassle. Correct. I wonder whether just you know because I feel like it, it's it's the it's the talk of the show um, of the Friends reunion. Um, Matthew Perry, obviously he's been through some uh, some some struggles in life and um, come in and out of some various sort of addiction issues, but he was you know you could tell he wasn't the Matthew Perry that we that we last saw on Friends. Yeah, look, I take my hat off to Matthew Perry because, yeah, you're right. That that looked like it was at times pretty tough for him to be there. And clearly this show, particularly the pressure of filming when they you know, had a live audience, was something that he really struggled with. And so that can have been easy going back, but he did. And there, are, there were some real nice moments where you, you could see that he was sort of just – 
really back into the zone and there was some really good genuine laughter but there was so much of this where his face expression throughout is it was quite somber quite serious and you know as you know i as as we all remember chandler of course that's so out of kilter with that character that it um yeah i i'm i take my hat off to him for coming back to do this because he quite possibly was the last to sign on i would imagine who i guess we'll never know but that's that would, would not surprise me yeah, no, definitely. Look, when they do the half measures reunion in, you know, 20 years time, Paul, and they come to us with checks for 2.5 mil, you know, no matter what condition, and I'll, I'll do it for 2.5, you know. I will see. No problem. I will see what my calendar looks like. All right. Um, I've got a question for you, Paul. If you could have a reunion show of one of your favorite pastime shows, what would you like to see? Star Trek The Next Generation. Just like that, mm, okay. simple as that. That would be that would that would definitely be, uh, and, and it it kind of came about as a conversation with someone else recently uh, because of the watching Picard and seeing Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner and Jonathan Frakes back, and just thinking, oh, let's get the whole gang and get them all around the table just to talk about it uh, and what it was like. And so that would, yeah, that's an easy answer for me. What about you? I'd probably go Seinfeld. Probably, um, mm. I think. All of the all of those uh, guys have gone on to do some great stuff, and I, I just love to, you know, I think a a one and a half hour Netflix special where they're sitting around a, a couch telling stories, I imagine would be a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. So oh. I, I and I've always, I remember when the news of this first came out, and I was sort of like, oh, do we really need the, all these reunions to happen? And is this what? But you know what? You know, maybe I've turned the corner. You know, maybe maybe they 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 can be good. When yeah. they're done well, I, I think I think that's I think you hit it on the nail on the head there. It's when they're done well, and I think the other example of that that springs to mind recently was the the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion, and I felt that, that similarly was done really well. And I think you may be onto something with Seinfeld because I think the comedy ones brings about a, a different different type of memory, a different type of feel, and and and. and it's uh there's something special about you know the when 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 you've shared laughs with people to to revisit those people that's even yeah that would be great well paul all the guns from me likewise likewise shall i take us over to the news desk yeah let's do it all right, so not too many things this week, but first of all, just a, a PSA for everyone that on the 9th of June, um, Marvel's next TV series starts Loki. Now, what's been great is Paul's had lots of time to get up to date, um, and he'll be ready to hit this one with me. We'll be doing week-by-week week reviews of this new TV show. Nice one. I will be there for that, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, we've talked about Moon Knight a little bit on the podcast before, but it looks like um, now we've had some official press release um, confirming that Oscar Isaac will indeed be playing Moon Knight, which is very exciting. Uh, Oscar Isaac is uh, obviously a key character in the, the latest Star Wars movies. We really enjoyed him on there, so looking forward to seeing what he does with the Moon Knight character. Awesome. A bit of tension. 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle news. So Seth Rogen has announced the 2023 release date um, of a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie that he's producing. Not too much is known about this at the moment, but it's going to be a coming-of-age film aimed at teenagers and kids and produced through Nickelodeon. I really enjoy some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so hoping it's got a little bit of uh, Seth Rogen humor in there for the big kids as well. I think that's a really good combination. I think Seth Rogen and the Turtles, I think that could go well. Yep, definitely. I think we need to get Danny McBride in there as maybe like Leonardo or something. That'd be amazing. Because he's, he's, you know, Danny McBride's got that kind of like anger and I'm the leader and I think he'd be, he'd be a great uh, Leonardo. Two final things. So um, A Quiet Place 2 has smashed pandemic-era records with a $57 million debut opening weekend. So that's really promising. Um, I imagine it's pretty nerve-wracking holding off releasing your movie. And then when you do, are people actually going to go and see it? Or have you lost, lost a bit of hype? But it looks like things are tracking in the right direction. And then the final bit of news. So we talked about uh, Mayor of Easttown before, and I mentioned to you to make sure you avoid spoilers. So one of those spoilers actually dropped from Stephen King on Twitter, where he actually predicted the, you know, the the end of this movie uh, back on the thirty first of May, and Twitter is a rage, obviously because. Uh, he was correct and uh, people aren't too happy about it and now it sort of spoiled it for them so if you do follow Stephen King on Twitter maybe you want to mute that till you have uh, finished Mayor of Easttown because you really do want to go on that journey and Paul that is me but he am I right in understanding that he he guessed what he thought would happen he didn't know he guessed so how, how can you correct. how can you be held accountable because you've guessed oh, I don't know uh. have you have you met the internet Paul Everyone's yeah. accountable. <laughs> That's right. So, so true. That is so true. Dan, I uh, I don't have any news at all this week, and I've not gone to all of my usual sources because I'm very conscious of the number of articles that are out there about um, you know Mayor of Easttown, and I I don't want any spoilers, so I'm I'll leave it as it is this week. And the mailbag is also going to be a real quick on this one. We've got no actors or writers or celebrities to report in our social media this week, Dan. However, we did have uh, six people give us their peak performance nominations for Morgan Freeman. So we had Jason from Wellington went with seven. Nat from Wellington went with Unforgiven. Uh, Bruce, our old friend Bruce from... I don't know if it's Australia or Scotland. It's, it's quite, it's, un, it's unclear. Can't figure out. But he went with um, Morgan Freeman's performance as God in the in the movie Bruce, Bruce Almighty. Was he in the second one as well? Evan Almighty with Steve Carell? I can't remember. Um, we got a 3-2-1 from San Francisco from our friend Ryan. He went with Amistad, Unforgiven, and Shawshank Redemption. And finally, Paddy Fox from County Kerry in Ireland. His three, two, one. He went with Glory, which is the 1989 movie uh, with Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington. Uh, seven, and also his number one was Shawshank Redemption. And that is the mailbag this week. Uh, if you'd like to be in the mailbag, do get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at halfmeasurespod. Dan, it's uh, it's peak performance time. 
Indeed, so much like Movie of the Week. Every week, Paul and I take turns uh, choosing uh, an actor or an actress or a director or a producer, and we choose their peak performances. So this week, we have gone with Emily Blunt. Paul, would you like to go first? Well, yeah, I'm uh, I'm now fascinated as to whether or not this most recent watch of Emily Blunt's will make it into your 321. So I will go first. Um, my number three... And this was a close call with another movie. I wonder if it will feature on your list. Uh, was 2011's The Adjustment Bureau. Um, this I really enjoyed this one. This is the one where uh, her and Matt Damon play characters trying to alter their fates so that they can they can they can be together. And um, people who work for like fate management or whatever it is are trying to prevent that from happening to to alter the time and. This is what triggered me earlier to say when you were talking about um, The Quiet Place too, about uh, Emily Blunt always coming through with some real good sort of sci-fi sci-fi thrillers. Um, I don't remember the specifics of this one. I haven't seen it since it came out in 2011, but I just remember I liked it. I liked her and Matt Damon in it. I love the premise and, yeah, definite potential rewatch here. Number two, Emily Blunt science fiction thriller. Again, it's a real theme for her. Uh, the 2014 movie Edge of Tomorrow, um, which firstly, I cannot believe how old this movie is. Seven years now. It feels like it's more recent than that, but there we go. And I think I really like this movie because, of course, she's opposite Tom Cruise in this, but she's she's the real badass in this movie. She's the one sort of like trying to, you know, teach this guy. And um, she's pretty hardcore in it. And I just love, again, the, the premise of fighting aliens. And, you know, I forget now actually i guess it's probably in her credits here the they've, they've got the sequel on the way haven't they yeah live die repeat and repeat <laughs> what a great title if that if that holds true that's that's amazing but um yeah real good movie but number one for me is the 2015 movie so all three of these movies came within the space of four years sicario and this is one that we reviewed i had a look back then we actually reviewed this back in episode 17 so back in the early the early days of herb measures and I think we both loved it at the time. I thought it was a great performance from her. She's she's sort of always on the outside of the of what the main character, not the main character, of what the main the main big guy in the movie in terms of like the, the the mission, Josh Brolin. She's always on the outside of what he was planning. So you sort of see the movie through her eyes and you connect with her through that. And I really I always remember that it was a really great angle to take for this type of story, seeing it sort of through her sort of disconnected lens and Dennis Villeneuve as a, as the director. Um, I still haven't watched the sequel, but adjustment bureau edge of tomorrow and Sicario is my three, two, one. What about you? Um, I've never seen the adjustment bureau, Paul. So I, I better get it on the list. If it's not online anywhere, I've got the Blu-ray sitting here. So you, you're more than welcome to borrow it. Of course you do. You're you're like the national the national archive of Blu-rays. If, if anything goes down, I think you know the government's coming to you for to restock the supplies. That's what I'm here for. That and do you, Canon do Star you Wars have, novels. Um, do you have Joker that I could borrow by any chance? Or uh, yeah, I've got that on Blu-ray somewhere. I'll link to go and find it. But yeah, sure, not a problem. Oh, actually, no, I lent it to someone, and I don't think they've given. Do you it hate back. it when you lend stuff? Just to... anyway, anyway, I digress. <laughs> So um, yeah, my the, 
Emily Blunt again, great sort of back catalogue of movies, and you know we're still in the in really the early days of her career, so I imagine a lot um, a lot more great things to come. So number three for me, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. So like you said, Paul, I think you know when you start alongside Tom Cruise, normally Tom Cruise is the star, but I you you've nailed that. Like she really is the star of this film, and even just looking at the poster, it's been a long time since I've watched this movie, so probably time for a rewatch. Mm. Number two, uh, I've actually gone with your number one, so Sicario. So again, same as you, just enjoyed her character in this. The way the story sort of told from a, sort of a different perspective, and and who's sort of watching on, and just a, a fantastic movie. It's a shame um, Sicario season two doesn't sort of follow through with that same sort of cast, but still a, a fantastic movie. And then number one for me is I'm actually going to go with A Quiet Place, and I'll go with A Quiet Place one just because this is the one that kind of kicked it all off, and I just think she, she's got some amazing scenes. Um, in that movie and she just does such a great job of playing the character of you know not only the hero but but a mum and she's just she's got it all going on and really a a top quality um, movie and yeah don't get put off by sort of the horror tags it's more sort of drama science fiction sort of thriller so definitely get amongst it so Edge of Tomorrow, Sicario and A Quiet Place. Great choices. I love it. Emily Blunt is coming to TV as well in a new show called The English, um, which also she stars opposite um, Tom Hughes. And I think I, I, I think it could be a great little thing for her. She's on a revenge mission over six episodes for the man she thinks killed her son. It's getting a lot of hype and it's a Western. So that could be one to watch oh, as well. I'm yeah, I'm in. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Does indeed. And our thanks to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, for supporting this week's episode. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you would like to become a patron of the show and become a producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, adios. <laughs>